Amen. We're turning together to God's precious word, and we're turning to the Old Testament scriptures, to the minor prophecy of Jonah, Jonah and the chapter 1. Jonah and the chapter 1. And this is the portion of Scripture that we looked at together last Lord's Day morning, and we're returning to it again today. And Jonah chapter 1, we'll commence again at the first verse, and we can read down the portion together to refresh our memories from last Lord's Day. Jonah 1 and the verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came on to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God, and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it off them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. And they said, Every one to his fellow, Come, and let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Then said they unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us. What is thine occupation? And whence comest thou? What is thy country? And of what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am an Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid, and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Amen. We land there at verse 10. And may the Lord again add his own blessing to this reading from his own precious and infallible word. Amen. We're looking together once again to the book of Jonah. And we last Lord's Day... We're considering the opening verses of the chapter, and today I would center my thoughts around the verse 4 and also the verses that follow. We're just reading verse 4 together. We read there in Jonah 1 and verse 4, 
But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. And today the title of my message is Storm Jonah. Storm Jonah. Let's unite together in prayer and ask the Lord for help in the ministry of his word. Our gracious God and our loving Father, we do thank thee that we can gather once again before the throne of grace in prayer. And we would ask, O God, as we come to consider and to meditate upon thy word together, that we would know the help of God the Holy Spirit. Come, O God, and move upon each of our hearts. Do enlighten us, O God. Do open up our hearts to receive thy word. As thy children may, we grow in grace. And if there be any, O God, who are far from thee today, draw them, we pray. Draw them unto thyself with the cords of love. So hear us, O God, and abide with us now. We offer our prayer in the Saviour's great name. Amen. Well, this past week we have witnessed two quite violent storms. The first of them was called Storm Asia, and then the one that came hot on the heels of that was Storm Joycelyn. And of course, they were a reminder to us of the power of the wind and the damage and the destruction that can be caused. And of course, buildings were damaged. On some occasions, roofs were ripped off and trees were brought down, causing great disruption. And electricity was cut off from homes and from businesses. And so we were given that real reminder before our eyes of the power of nature and the power of the wind. And when we come to the Word of God, the Bible does mention a good number of storms. And generally in the Bible, they are given as a display of God's almighty power. The divine power of the Lord who is over all things and he's over the elements and he's over the wind and he's, he's over the storms. And you could think, I'm sure, of some of those storms in the Bible that have been used to display God's almighty power. You could go back to the book of Genesis and you think in the days of Noah of the great flood that came and certainly that was a cataclysmic storm. May the storm that came in the days of Noah destroying everything upon the face of the earth. The power of the Lord behind the storm. In the book of Exodus, the chapter 9, you would read there about the plagues that came upon Egypt. And one of those plagues was the plague of a thunderstorm. The hail that came upon Egypt. In the days of Elijah, you would read about the great wind, the mighty wind that blew, that Elijah witnessed. 
You could move into the New Testament and you think of that occasion when the disciples were out in the boat with the Savior on the Sea of Galilee and suddenly a storm, a very violent storm broke upon them. And the disciples were fearing for their lives and the Lord rose up from his sleep and he rebuked the wind and he said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And it tells us there was a great calm and they were astonished that even the wind and the waves obeyed him. You think of the days of the Apostle Paul, and we read about it in the book of the Acts when he was caught in a violent storm and they, shoved, they suffered shipwreck and were washed up on the island of Melita. The storms. Storms are also used in the Bible symbolically. The book of the Revelation would describe uh, the catastrophic events that lead up to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And storms, thunders and lightnings are mentioned there as part of the Lord's judgment. And so you can see many examples through the Bible about storms. And here in Jonah before us is one of the most well-known storms in the whole of the Bible. Last week we learned about Jonah and how he was the prophet of the Lord. He had that dove-like character living up to his name. He was the son of Amittai or the son of truth. And he was one who seemed well qualified to, to serve the Lord as a prophet of the Lord. But the Lord revealed his will to Jonah to go to Nineveh and to preach to the Ninevites. But Jonah didn't want to go. And we pointed out how that was in a vain attempt to save his own country, Israel, from judgment. So instead of going in the direction that God wanted him to go, Jonah fled from the presence of the Lord. And Jonah started to flee from the Lord and run away from the Lord. We noticed how he was going in that downward direction. Going away from the Lord always takes you in a downward direction spiritually. The verse 4, where we've really drawn your attention to today, it commences with those words, But the Lord. And there's Jonah, and he's caught the ship to Tarshish, and he's going there across the Mediterranean, and he's going in the wrong direction. But the Lord. One who's running away from the Lord. And then the Lord intervenes. But the Lord, here is a divine intervention. And God is sending a storm. And he's sending a storm into the life of Jonah in order to correct him. And you can see how the Lord is ordering the storm here. In verse 4 it says, But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea. The Lord is the one who is in control here. The Lord is behind this great wind and he casts it forth, as it were, out into the sea. 
and there was a mighty tempest in the sea. And I have entitled this mighty tempest Storm Jonah. Storm Jonah. I want to observe a number of points here. Notice with me, firstly, the mariners in the storm. They're really mentioned there in verse 5. It says, Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it off them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship and he lay and was fast asleep. It seems so strange. Jonah is the one who has fled from the presence of the Lord. Jonah is the one who has rebelled and who has sinned. He's the individual. But the actions of the individual prove to have a detrimental effect upon the others around him. And what we learn from that is that no one sins in isolation. You see, Jonah here was the one who had sinned against the Lord, but the consequences of that do not stop with Jonah. And no one sins in isolation. Let me give you an example of that. If you have a family and you have maybe the husband or the father within that home and the father takes to drink and takes to alcohol or starts to abuse drugs, doesn't just affect him as an individual. It's going to affect everyone in that family. We've witnessed it, haven't we? Devastating effect upon a wife within that home. Devastating effect upon the children within that home. They're all going to suffer within that home just because of one individual within it. And how many children would suffer as a result of the sins of their parents? And you know, we could widen it out. It's not just within uh, the context of the family. We could say that the nation suffers. Society suffers. Because of the sins of its inhabitants. Proverbs 14 and 34 underlines that to us. It says, Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. The inhabitants of society, the inhabitants of the nation sin, then there is the reproach of that sin, and it comes upon all. It affects all. You might have heard some saying at times, if, if certain vices and certain sins are pointed out and certain lifestyles are condemned, individuals will say, well, they don't care what they do. It doesn't affect me. They can live whatever lifestyle they like. That's their business. It doesn't affect me. But actually it does. Sin brings reproach. We see in the example of Jonah here, literally they're all in the same boat. They're all in the same boat. And because of what Jonah has done by way of fleeing from the Lord and boarding the ship to Tarshish and the Lord coming, 
into Jonah's life with a, a storm in order to correct him, they're all going to suffer. The mariners in the storm. Look at the fear of these mariners in verse 5. Then the mariners were afraid. They were no doubt experienced sailors. But such was the fierceness of this storm. It's a mighty tempest. And they feared. They feared for their lives. And they were fearing that the ship was about to break up. How the Lord can suddenly intervene in such a way. The circumstances can so change. The Lord here by his move has brought fear to the hearts of what would have probably been hardened individuals, these mariners, the sailors on board the ship. Not only their fear, but their faith. Because it, it tells us there of their faith. In verse 5, Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God. Such was the fear that gripped their heart. They cried every man unto his God. Every man has his own religion. There's that need within the heart of the individual whereby the heart will seek after a God. And if the true God is not revealed to man, man will make a God of his own making, his own imagination, his own thoughts. A false God. A false God. And so here their faith was in a false God. Stamped on the conscience of every individual is that awareness of, of one to whom we are accountable. And these men at this point did not know the true God of heaven. But there's an inbuilt witness there that there is a God. The witness of conscience that there's a God with whom we have to do. And you could go today to the farthest jungle and you could go into the darkest, deepest jungle and you could find a tribe that has never before been reached, one of the remotest tribes. And you'll find they have a form of their own religion. There's something of a compulsion there within our being, an innate desire to, to have a God and to be able to worship. And therefore you can get all kinds of false religions even in the remotest of tribes and the darkest of jungles. Really, there are no atheists. There are those who claim to be atheists, but really, there are no atheists. Even those who claim to be atheists, they take a great interest in religion. They say they're irreligious, but... They're not. They seem to want to take a great interest in religion and they want to make judgments on religious topics and they want to make religious statements. And so though they claim to be irreligious, they reveal that they are indeed religious when they attempt to refute another religious view. There are no atheists. 
These men, the mariners, through fear they cried every man unto his God. But sadly it was a God of their own making. Then the folly of these mariners, they were trying to save themselves. And they cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to, to lighten them, casting the cargo overboard in a bid to save their lives. Futile efforts to try and fight against this storm, because really they're fighting against the Lord. And man is powerless and man is helpless against the Lord. But man will go to extremity. He'll go to great lengths in an attempt to save his own life. Willing here to let go of all the wares that were in the ship in a desperate bid to cling on to life. And you see the desperation that there is there with these men. Yet when it comes to the soul and it comes to spiritual matters, man seems to be the opposite. He wants to hold on to this world. He wants to hold on to all that is in this world. And he wants to hold on to his sin and he doesn't want to let go of it. Well, in that particular sense, you could learn from these mariners for in order to be saved, you have to let go of this old world. And all that is in this world, simply cast yourself upon the Lord. And so we can see the mariners in the storm. But I want you to notice secondly here the mercy in the storm. There was mercy to Jonah. Mercy to Jonah. It's God's mercy that the storm didn't come and consume Jonah. Jonah had rebelled. Jonah had been running away from the Lord. And he, had the, he was the one who was responsible for bringing the storm. And the storm could have came and consumed him. And he could have perished there in the waters. But the mercy of God. The mercy of God even in sending the storm. How many times in our lives we would have to testify of the mercy of God. Times when we've sinned against the Lord. Times when we've failed the Lord. Times when he could have deservedly cast us away. And yet the Lord extends mercy. We know that he's a merciful God. We sang at the beginning of our service the Psalm 103. And I particularly wanted us to sing that eighth verse. Because it describes to us something of the character of the Lord. And it gives those two attributes. It says, merciful and gracious. That's what the Lord is. Even at times when we feel the Lord and like Jonah we flee from the Lord. Yet the Lord is merciful and gracious. And those two characteristics are very similar. Mercy and grace. They're similar and yet... They're different. You know what grace is. Grace is God giving to us what we do not deserve. That's what grace is. God gives us what we do not deserve. Well, what's mercy? Do you know what mercy is? It's God keeping back from us what we do deserve. 
Well, we deserve his wrath and we deserve to be cast away from the Lord. But the Lord is merciful and he keeps that back. Though he's gracious in what he gives to us even though we don't deserve it. Jeremiah was right when he penned in Lamentations 3, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. And Jonah is experiencing here God's mercy, mercy in the midst of the storm. When Paul wrote to the Ephesians in chapter 2, he said, but God, who is rich in mercy... And Jonah would testify of the mercy of God later in this book. If you glance in Jonah chapter 4 to the verse 2, it says, And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. And amongst those characteristics of the Lord, Jonah said, he's merciful. We along with Jonah, we know that. And even though Jonah there is sleeping down in the bottom of the ship, the Lord is merciful to Jonah. There's mercy in the storm. There was mercy to the sailors in the storm. If you notice the end of verse 4, it's describing there the impact of the mighty tempest upon the ship. And it says, so that the ship was like to be broken. The ship was like to be broken. That word like comes from the original verb to think. And if you have a margin down the center of your Bible and you're able to see the reference there in verse 4, it actually says, thought to be broken. And so this particular word in the original, it wouldn't normally be used to be associated with the inanimate objects like a ship. That the ship here is thinking. And in the thoughts of the ship, the ship is thinking about breaking up. I'm sure it would have been creaking and it would have been groaning as the waves beat upon it and the wind continued to blow and it's thinking about breaking up. We can understand to a degree the use of uh, the words here. But you see, while the ship was thinking about breaking up, just at any moment it was about to break up, but in mercy the Lord didn't permit it to break up. And the Lord held it there. He held it together. There's mercy to the mariners. The ship did not break. And then there's mercy also that the mariners were seeking mercy. You see, the shipmaster then came to Jonah, who was asleep, and he, he wakened Jonah up in verse 6, and he said, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. They were looking for mercy. 
The shipmaster wakens Jonah and challenges him to pray. Isn't that strange? The, the unconverted sailors, the heathen, pagan, idolatrous sailors, they're calling upon uh, the prophet of the Lord to pray. He should have been praying and he was sleeping. We have just had a week of prayer in the church. From last Lord's Day, special sessions of prayer. Monday through to Friday at 8 p.m. And thank God for those who were able to come. Thank God for those who were faithful in the place of prayer. And we were grateful for the spirit of prayer. And truly it was a blessing. It was a good time. But there are times in the life of the believer whenever spiritually, as it were, they're sleeping when they should be praying. Sleeping while there's a perishing world around them. That's the picture that Jonah presents to us here. And the shipmaster is saying to him, Awake thou that sleepest, and call upon thy God. You remember the disciples the Lord took Peter, James, and John with him into the garden. And he wanted them to watch with him. And while the Lord went a little further to pray, the disciples fell asleep. Believer, we need not to sleep in these days. We need to be up and doing. We need to be laying hold upon the Lord in the attitude of prayer. What meanest thou, O sleeper, arise, call upon thy God? But what was the particular prayer request from the shipmaster? He said, if so be that God will think upon us. It was a cry for mercy. That God would think upon us. That word think there means to shine. That God would shine upon us. That God would take away the storm that we perish not and that we would have the shining or the blessing of the Lord, the mercy of the Lord. Really, it was a desire here for God to deliver them and for God to save them that they perish not. God be merciful to me, the sinner. Paul said to Titus, according to his mercy, he saved us. A desire for God's mercy. Maybe there's one gathered today and you're not saved and you're in danger of perishing. You need to look to the Lord for mercy and that you would be saved according to his mercy. And the hymn writer penned those words in relation to Calvary where the Lord suffered and bled and died. And he said, mercy there was great. And grace was free. And pardon there was multiplied to me. And there my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. The mercy in the storm. But then I want you to notice with me the message in the storm. The message is very important here, and we'll just take a moment or two together to think about the message that was given. 
It's contained in verses 8 and 9, and really they were asking questions here, very direct questions concerning Jonah. They have discovered that he is the cause of the storm. And questions are put to him in verse 8 about his occupation and where he has come from and what his country is and of what people he is. And the answers come back from Jonah. And really verse 9 is something of a confession of his faith. And we see here what Jonah really believed about the Lord. He said unto them, I am an Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Jonah is showing us there that in verse 9, and you note the name that is given, it's in block capital letters, he said, I fear the Lord. That word's a reference to Jehovah, the one who is over all. And Jonah is saying here, I belong to the Lord Jehovah, the true God of heaven. And he said there in that ninth verse, he's the God of heaven. He's saying he's the highest. Oh, you might have your false gods. You might cry to your false gods, but my God is Jehovah, and I fear the Lord Jehovah, and he's the highest. The highest is the God of heaven. Jonah says here he's the creator. He's made the sea, and he's made the dry land. They're in the midst of the storm. They're in the sea. And Jonah's saying to him, the Lord's made the sea. Might be crashing around you at this present time, but he's the creator. He's in control of the sea. And you might wish you were on dry land. Well, he's the creator of the dry land. He's the Lord Jehovah. He's the God of heaven. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. These sailors are hearing a message. And Jonah is showing them here what he believed about the Lord. Here we get to see the message that Jonah had concerning his God. And through the storm, these men are hearing of the true God. Sometimes the Lord can use a storm to speak to hearts. And maybe in your life, in your circumstances... You're facing a storm. You could be in the very midst of a storm. You could be going through that storm right now. God can use the storm to speak to you. The Lord spoke to these men in the midst of the storm. They had a message. Many people have been spoken to in the midst of a storm. Think of John Newton. He wrote that great hymn, Amazing Grace. And yet before he was converted to Christ, he was a slave trader. And he took the ship to the west coast of Africa and he would have been heavily involved in the slave trade. But one day he was caught in a storm. And having been brought up by a very godly mother, a mother who prayed for him in the midst of the storm, John Newton looked to the Lord. 
And whether that was the point of his conversion or whether he was converted at a later point, nevertheless, it was in the midst of the storm that he looked to the Lord. And in the midst of your storm, you can look to the Lord. I close today thinking about the miracle in the storm. For I believe that the men here on board the ship got saved. I believe these men were converted to Christ, and there would be enough evidence in this first chapter to certainly confirm that to us. They have heard the message about the true God, and you could trace just at this moment what is happening in the life of these men. They're brought under conviction. In verse 10, then were the men exceedingly afraid. Oh, they realized that this is Jehovah. This is the true God. This is the great creator, the God of heaven. And they're exceedingly afraid. And they know that Jonah has fled from the Lord. You see, there's an eye, a God awareness. And that exceeding great fear is a fear of God. Just a touch in verse 14, still speaking about those sailors. And it says, wherefore they cried unto the Lord. And there it again is that title, Jehovah. You could compare that with verse 5, where they cried unto their own gods, the false gods. But now that marks a turning point. Here there's a conversion. They're turning to the living God. They're turning to the true God. They're turning from the idols and they're crying unto the Lord. And you notice as they cry to Jehovah, their language there, we beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not upon us innocent blood. For thou, O Lord, has done as it pleased thee. They acknowledge here in their prayer, God is in control. God is sovereign here. And they have turned from idols onto the living God. Something of consecration. Verse 16, then the men feared the Lord. That's Jehovah again. They feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. And on the basis of the sacrifice, they're consecrating themselves to the Lord and they're committing themselves to the Lord forever. And there's a miracle. A miracle has taken place in the midst of the storm. These men have been converted to the Lord. May the Lord even speak to hearts today. And may the Lord bless his word to each and to every heart.